welcome, friends. I am your humble host here for a very special 4th of July edition of Sounds Like Radio. This is not going to be one of our normal editions of Sounds Like Radio. In fact, this is going to be a very short edition because this is a special 4th of July salute to America. And I thought it would be a good time to play you, well, to bring back one tradition and to play you a great um, message from John Wayne that applies today more than ever. First, we're going to get to the Paul Harvey recording here. Paul Harvey, I used to listen to Paul Harvey for years on the radio. He had a daily commentary program, and there were two broadcasts of Paul Harvey that I never missed. One was the Christmas edition, the one that he did on Christmas Day, where he read a great Christmas parable story. And the other, the one that I never missed, was on the 4th of July, when Paul Harvey would read, We Mutually Pledge, a great annual 4th of July Paul Harvey tradition. And I tuned in every year to listen to Paul Harvey do this. So I figured now's the time to bring back that Paul Harvey tradition, something America needs to be reminded of more than ever. Here is, once again, the great Paul Harvey, and the 4th of July tradition continues here on Sounds Like Radio. Here is Paul Harvey for this 4th of July. We mutually pledge. Americans, you remember the cherry tree story a long time after you forget the more earth-shaking, history-making episodes in the life of George Washington. You have misplaced in your memory the details of Ben Franklin's statesmanship, but you remember his flying a kite. Joyce Kilmer was a great military hero, but the only thing you personally recall about him is his poetic tribute to trees. Maybe of this current decade, that which will be best remembered will not be its wars and its jet planes or its giants who lived and died. Maybe all that will survive to linger in the day-by-day vocabulary of generations yet unborn will be a song about a Tennessee frontiersman or the incident at the window that night a speck of dust blew in and penicillin was discovered. But for any 4th of July, I, Paul Harvey, do hereby bequeath unto you something to remember. You may not be able to quote one line from the Declaration of Independence at this moment. Henceforth, you will always be able to quote at least one line. It's in the last paragraph where you will recall when I remind you, it says, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. You recognize those impressive words, but you don't understand them until you know the rest of the story. So here goes. In the Pennsylvania State House, what's now called Independence Hall in Philadelphia, the best men from each of the colonies sat down together. This was a fortunate hour in our nation's history, one of those rare occasions in the lives of men when we had greatness to spare. These were men of means, well-educated, 24 were lawyers and jurists, 11 were merchants, 9 were farmers and owners of large plantations. On June 11, a committee sat down to draw up a declaration of independence. 
we were going to tell our British fatherland no more rule by redcoats. Below the dam of ruthless foreign rule, the stream of freedom was running shallow and muddy. We were lighting the fuse to dynamite that dam. This pact, as Burke later put it, was a partnership between the living and the dead and the yet unborn. There was no bigotry, no demagoguery in this group. All of them had shared hardships. Jefferson finished a draft of the document in 17 days. Congress adopted it in July. So much is familiar history. Now, King George III had denounced all rebels in America as traitors. Punishment for treason was hanging. The names now so familiar to you from the several signatures on that Declaration of Independence, the names were kept secret for six months, for each knew the full meaning of that magnificent last paragraph in which his signature pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. Fifty-six men placed their names beneath that pledge. Fifty-six men knew when they signed that they were risking everything. They knew if they won this fight, the best they could expect would be years of hardship in a struggling nation. If they lost, they'd face a hangman's rope, but they signed the pledge, and they did indeed pay the price. That is the rest of the story. Here is the documented fate of that gallant 56. Carter Braxton of Virginia, wealthy planter and trader, saw his ship swept from the seas. To pay his debts, he lost his home and all of his properties and died in rags. Thomas Lynch, Jr., who signed that pledge, was a third-generation rice grower, aristocrat, large plantation owner. After he signed, his health failed. With his wife, he set out for France to regain his failing health. Their ship never got to France. He was never heard from again. Thomas McKean of Delaware, was so harassed by the enemy that he was forced to move his family five times in five months. He served in Congress without pay, his family in poverty and in hiding. Vandals looted the properties of Ellery and Clymer and Hall and Gwinnett and Walton and Hayward and Rutledge and Middleton. And Thomas Nelson, Jr. of Virginia, raised $2 million on his own signature to provision our allies, the French fleet. After the war, he personally paid back the loans wiped out his entire estate. He was never reimbursed by his government. In the final battle for Yorktown, he, Nelson, urged General Washington to fire on his, Nelson's, own home, which was occupied by Cornwallis. He died bankrupt. Thomas Nelson, Jr. had pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. The Hessians seized the home of Francis Hopkinson of New Jersey, Francis Lewis had his home and everything destroyed. His wife imprisoned. She died within a few months. Richard Stockton, who signed that declaration, was captured, mistreated, his health broken to the extent that he died at 51. His estate was pillaged. Thomas Hayward, Jr. was captured when Charleston fell. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside while she was dying. Their 13 children fled in all directions for their lives. His fields and grist mill were laid waste. For more than a year, he lived in forests and caves and returned home after the war to find his wife dead, his children gone, his properties gone, 
He died a few weeks later of exhaustion and a broken heart. Lewis Morris saw his land destroyed, his family scattered. Philip Livingston died within a few months from the hardships of the war. John Hancock history remembers best due to a quirk of fate rather than anything he stood for. That great sweeping signature, attesting to his vanity, towers over the others. One of the wealthiest men in New England, he stood outside Boston one terrible night of the war and said, burn Boston, though it makes John Hancock a beggar, if the public good requires it. He too lived up to the pledge. Of the 56, few were long to survive. Five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. 12 had their homes from Rhode Island to Charleston sacked, looted, occupied by the enemy, or burned. Two lost their sons in the army. One had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 died in the war from its hardships or from its more merciful bullets. I don't know what impression you had had of the men who met that hot summer in Philadelphia, but I think it's important that we remember this about them. They were not poor men. They were not wild-eyed pirates. These were men of means. These were rich men, most of them, who enjoyed much ease and luxury in their personal living. Not hungry men, prosperous men, wealthy landowners, substantially secure in their prosperity. But they considered liberty, and this is as much as I shall say of it, they had learned that liberty is so much more important than security that they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor, and they fulfilled their pledge, and freedom was born. There you have it, friends. Paul Harvey from an album he recorded in 1975 when he made official his annual 4th of July message. And there he made it official on this album called We Mutually Pledge Our Lives, Our Fortunes, Our Sacred Honor. A great album Paul Harvey put out in 1975. And we just heard the title cut, friends. That was something to be remembered in something I remember listening to every year on the 4th of July. And now, friends, we've got another little tiny treat here for you, and then we're going to have to say goodbye. What we've got now is the great John Wayne standing by to tell us all about the hyphen. Take it, Duke. The hyphen, Webster's Dictionary defines, is a symbol used to divide a compound word or a single word. So it seems to me that when a man calls himself an Afro-American, a Mexican-American, Italian-American, Irish-American, Jewish-American. What he's saying is, I'm a divided American. Well, we all came from other places, different creeds, different races, to form a nation, to become as one. Yet look at the harm a line has done. A simple little line, and yet as divisive as a line can get. Crooked cross, the Nazis flew, and the Russian hammer and sickle, too. Time bombs in the lives of man. But none of these could ever fan the flames of hatred faster than the hyphen. The Russian hammer built a wall that locks men's hearts from freedom's call. Crooked cross flew overhead above 20 million tragic dead. Among them, men from 
This great nation who died for freedom's preservation. A hyphen is a line that's small. It can be a bridge or be a wall. A bridge can save you lots of time. A wall you always have to climb. The road to liberty lies true. Ivan's use is up to you. Used as a bridge, it can span all the differences of man. Being free in mind and soul should be our most important goal. If you use the hyphen as a wall, you'll make your life mean and small. An American is a special breed whose people came to her in need. They came to her that they might find a world where they'd have peace of mind, where men are equal and something more stand taller than they stood before so you be wise in your decision and that little line won't cause division let's join hands with one another for in this land each man's your brother united we stand divided we fall we're americans and that says it all The great John Wayne from an album he put out in 1973 called America, Why I Love Her. And that is one of the best cuts from that album. One of my favorite cuts because it applies so appropriately for today. The hyphen. That'll do it, friends, for this abbreviated version of a very special 4th of July Sounds Like Radio program. We hope you're having a great 4th of July. And just a couple of messages here to remember. Till next year, friends, on the 4th of July, when we're back again with these great annual 4th of July messages. Till next year, and till next time, I am your host, your humble host for Sounds Like Radio, saying so long for now. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody.